Welcome to Bookends, a virtual book club brought to you by the Team Approach. Our theme this year on Bookends is leadership, and today my guests are the authors of the just-released Eight Dimensions of Leadership book, Jeff Sugarman, Mark Scullard, and Emma Wilhelm. To obtain a copy of today's featured book, please visit www.bkconnection.com. You can access today's podcast and all of our Bookends programs on iTunes or at bookendsbookclub.net. At our Bookends site, you can also visit the resource blog for free chapters and resources provided by our featured authors. Here you can also request the free disk profile associated with today's featured book. After reading The Eight Dimensions of Leadership, you may want to discuss it, and we've created a place for you to do this. Simply sign into LinkedIn, search Groups, and join the group called Bookends the Discussion. In this LinkedIn group, you can pose questions and discuss issues with your peers. You can dialogue with our Bookends featured authors who are members of this group. Be sure to invite your friends and join the group to listen and discuss with you. I'm your host, Susan Stam, and I'd like to introduce Jeff Sugarman, who is the President and CEO of Inscape Publishing, a leading provider of training materials to the corporate market. Jeff received his Ph.D. in clinical psychology from Washington University in St. Louis. He has worked in corporate publishing since 1988 and has served in various senior executive roles. Jeff has also taught at the university level and worked as an organizational development consultant serving Fortune 500 companies. He is a past president of ISA and was the 2009 recipient of ISA's prestigious Broomfield Award. Mark Scullard is the Director of Research at Inscape Publishing, where he is responsible for product development, research strategies, and data analysis. He has over a decade of research and data analysis experience developing psychological evaluation tools and methods. He has a background in personal and group psychotherapy and received his doctorate in psychology from the University of Minnesota. Emma Wilhelm is the senior writer and product developer at Inscape Publishing, where she enjoys developing innovative corporate training products that are used worldwide. Her publishing career has included work at several niche publishers with responsibilities ranging from research to content development to acquisitions. Her experience also includes work at several college campuses teaching undergraduate courses leading cross-country and track and field teams and advising student leadership groups through NCAA and YMCA programs. Emma's BA is in English Literature from Carleton College, and her MS is in Exercise and Sports Studies from Smith College. Emma, Mark, and Jeff, it's great to visit with you on Bookends today. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. Well, new leadership books are hitting the market every day. In fact, 40 new titles are released each day according to a website, leadershipnow.com. With all this great information that's out there released uh, daily, Emma, why do you think so many leaders are still feeling ill-prepared for this role? Well, Susan, we think of leadership as a very highly personal pursuit in, in two ways. First, leaders, of course, must work with people, and this is inherently complicated. Um, and second, a leader's personality is really truly wound into the experience of leading. 
And many times, maybe most times, one's preparation for a leadership role does not include taking personality into account, and that's really a mistake. And what we found is that leaders then have to sort of learn things the hard way through trial and error, often running into the same obstacles over and over again. Yeah, I think, I think personality is a, is a big part of it. Um, many of us have had to learn leadership lessons the hard way without the benefits of the lessons that you offer in this book. And um, a few weeks ago, I was attending a conference where I had the opportunity to hear you, Jeff, share an experience from your own journey as a leader. You were talking about a time when you were addressing an organization that you were leading, and this was much earlier in your career, and you were discussing um, the organization's achievements and, uh, you know, kind of looking out into the future, what the future might look like. Would you share this story with us and tell us how it impacted you as a leader? Sure. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, these, these sort of leadership moments of truth, uh, when the universe uh, speaks to a leader saying, uh, gee, here's something you could do better or here's a blind spot, um, those sort of moments is, uh, are what got us interested in this topic. Uh, the, the particular story I was talking about uh, at the conference season was, uh, uh, it was about uh, 15 years ago, and at the time I was running a, a large division of a, a very large corporation, um, and, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, training provided to uh, up-and-coming leaders in that organization. I had the best books, the best courses, the best education, the best coaching. Uh, and really had decided uh, for all sorts of reasons that if I could run my business by mapping work processes, uh, that is sort of uh, uh, dividing everything in the organization down to sort of a, a process level, teaching people process management skills, uh, refining processes, working on effectiveness and efficiency of processes, that I could, I could really run the whole business. And at the time, that was about a 125-person business, really without having to manage people. I could just Managed process, <laughs> and uh, you can tell the train wreck that was about to happen, uh, even by me just saying that. Um, but it was uh, at the end of a quarter where we had had really a phenomenal uh, quarter. A lot of things that we were doing we were doing right, and and I was uh, you know sort of obsessed with numbers at the time and financial performance at the time. <laughs> and I I had made the uh, at an all employee quarterly meeting. I had made the comment that that you know all of this is paying off if if um, if we just keep doing what we're doing, uh, we, had, we had set a record uh, level of profitability that quarter, and if we just kept doing what we were doing, uh, we would ac actually increase our profitability another 20% without having to work any harder in the next quarter. And, you know, there was a polite round of applause for that, uh, that, that comment. And we, you know, went through the meeting. It was time for Q&A. And one of our senior developers there, uh, a remarkable person named uh, John, uh, who rarely spoke up at uh, – at these kinds of meetings, uh, raised his hand to make a comment, and I, of course I called on him, and, and he said this to me. He said, uh, Jeff, you know, when I get up in the morning and take a shower and get in my car and drive to work and imagine what my day is going to be like, I, I don't really imagine a table with a pile of money on it. Uh -huh. And the idea of seeing uh, a table with a pile of money plus 20% more money on top of that uh, is even less motivating. Uh, you, you need to do a better job. And uh, in, 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 in taking us forward in this, and I I was sort of struck in the, in the moment. Uh, the applause for that comment were about three times the sound of uh, the applause <laughs> for my uh, profitability. And and I realized that the you know 
the universe through John was, was speaking to me about a, a real gap, a real blind spot uh, that I had as a leader, that leadership is about people. And the more I thought about it and with many, many more experiences, the more I came to understand that what was getting in my way was not uh, what I knew, uh, but what was going on uh, inside of me. Uh, and to, to really begin to understand that we have certain predispositions, we call them default settings and, and blind spots uh, that we've come to document in, in our research and our work. That was kind of the, the kinds of those, those kinds of experiences are what many leaders call those moments of truth where those come into high resolution. We're, we're trying to accelerate that process and make it, uh, make it more understandable for people without having those embarrassing moments in front of 100 people. Yeah, actually, just as a little, uh, you know, uh, um, addition to that story, because as, as, I was at the same conference, and uh, I was sitting in the back of the room, and uh, I was sitting next to a guy named Scott, and Scott ha currently works with our organization. Huh? Um, and he uh, had worked for Jeff 15 years ago, and when Jeff told that story, he leaned over to me and he said, that's why I left the company, right? <laughs> and, but the thing is, the thing is, is that... Jeff, or Scott and Jeff work together now, and Scott's extremely happy. You know, mm -hmm. he, and it really is—it's that process of development. And in writing this book, we really had we were deliberate about having conversations with with new leaders and experienced leaders, and talking about their journeys. And um, the journey that Jeff described, you know, and Ken described in terms of what he learned is different from what I learned and what Emma mm -hmm. learned, and what from different leaders learned, but. They're really the common process is moving, uh, you know, from these default settings, this idea mm -hmm. that I have one way of doing it, and that's just the way of doing it, to learning yeah. that there's a broader scope of responsibilities at my feet. And so that's one of the things we try to do with this book is help people realize that. That's great. And, and I, I like the language of bringing it into higher resolution um, because it, it when you think about that, what that, you know, actually means, it's not that people can't see it, but it's not so bright or so clear. It kind of jumps out at you, and, um, you know, it's a great service to be able to provide that to leaders. It might be humming along a little bit, you know, in, very faded in the background, but what you're trying to do is really call it to their attention. Well, I'd, like to, I'd like to continue um, with you, Mark, uh, if we could. Uh, there's been lots and lots of press um, over a number of years uh, focusing on the idea of focusing on our strengths. And um, the Gallup folks, uh, for example, have just released um, some new research. Of course, they're always re releasing research, but there's been some new research um, again, and they're pushing pretty hard on the idea that our strengths alone can get us there and that working on our limitations really isn't all that important. Do you think that this is good advice for leaders, and could you share any insights about using uh, strengths from your research? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, I mean, because we just listened to a story from Jeff of someone who was just focusing on his strengths, mm -hmm. something he had been re rewarded for, and, um, and you know, we <laughs> well, we heard the end of that story, and, um, you know, and what had happened. But, you know, we can certainly, we can talk about it from, uh, have a, a conceptual discussion about that, or we can talk about the research. Let me start with uh, some of the research that we've done on that. Because when we started the process of investigating um, leadership, we, we were really agnostic towards that, that question. We, you know, we were very open to wherever the research led us. Um, and 
some of our more recent data, um, we've had, you know, we have several thousand um, leaders and uh, going through our 360 uh, process. And for each of those leaders, we have two pieces of information. Um, on the one hand, we have the eight dimensions, these eight different behaviors. Um, how often do the, do the leaders perform each of these eight behaviors? And on the other hand, we have a more global reflection or rating of the leader's effectiveness, things like this person's respected as a good leader in my organization, I enjoy working with this person as a leader, or more straightforward questions like this person is, is a good leader in general. Um, and so what we wanted to see is, um, is how are those eight behaviors related to these global um, ratings of effectiveness? And if the strengths-based approach was correct, what we would expect to see is that people who are rated as good leaders overall would just be doing two or three things really well. And they could be low on all of the other, the other eight. And in fact, we would expect to see poor leaders as people who really even weren't doing just about anything well. Maybe they were doing the things that came naturally to them, working on their strengths, and, but they weren't really capitalizing them. They weren't really um, you know, maxing those things out. Well, that's not what we found at all. What we did find is that leaders who got good global ratings of effectiveness were people who were doing each of the eight dimensions. All right? Most of them had, um, were doing the, at least seven, if not all eight, of the different behaviors that we talk about in terms of these eight dimensions. Poor leaders, on the other hand, people who got globally poor ratings, well, these people actually were using their strengths. They had, on average, two to four different strengths that were really pronounced for them. And so those people actually were using what some might call the, the strengths-based model, and still people were responding, you know, sh shaking their heads and saying, that's not enough. Now, if we look at that, you know, what does that mean? Why is the, this strengths-based approach taking off so well? And I, I think it is a very appealing message. Um, you know, and I think it's appealing for several reasons. One of them is, is because it's, it's a very comforting message to say, you know, I, sh I can just focus on what I'm, I'm good at and I don't have to worry as much about, about those other things that don't come naturally to me. And that, you know, to me personally, I could say that does feel good. <laughs> but is it, is it a matter of, of is, it, is it true? Mm -hmm. And you know, you can also look at it from the perspective of, well, I see all these good leaders and they're all different. And that's true to some extent as well. Not every good leader looks identical, but they're a common set of responsibilities that a leader has to fulfill. And I think when we're talking about a leader, like Emma said, it's a very personal responsibility you have. Yeah. Leaders aren't just performing tasks. They're, you know, the, the people who follow them aren't just looking at their output. Mm -hmm. They're looking at that leader as a person. We respond to the leader as a fellow human being. And so if you're going to outsource the, the humility thing or the inspiring thing um, you know, or the, the, the confidence thing, um, when you outsource these responsibilities, you really are taking the person out of leadership. And from our research, it, it just doesn't seem to work, and those leaders don't seem to be getting the respect, don't seem to be getting the, the results that they really could if they, if they expanded upon this default setting of theirs. If I could just yeah. uh, 
piggyback a, a story that's Please just do. coming to mind as Mark is telling this, and this is absolutely true. Um, in that same era where I was that young uh, general manager of that company that was probably way too big for me at the time, um, I decided that, uh, as part of my whole process analysis and process approach that I would hire an HR director who literally was a cheerleader in high school, right? But she was one of these people that was just <laughs> fantastic. She was effervescent and charming and, and always had a smile and, and could literally do cartwheels in the hallway if we asked her to. Oh, my and, goodness. And um, I, uh, I was talking – I was having some problem. I can't remember what the exact issue was, but I, I remember talking to a, uh, a mentor of mine, and I, I described how I had hired this person and uh, that, that she was going to be the one that really brought the heart and energy to the organization. And this guy looked at me and he said, um, uh, did you outsource your honeymoon, too? <laughs> <laughs> and and I, he said, how can, how can you do this? How can you, you can't, you, you know, this is you as well, to, mm. to Mark's point. Yeah, that's great. That's terrific. And I well, actually could talk about this topic for a while, but I, 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 I know. But, I, you know, I, I think the, the, the way that this, this idea got started is really looking at individual contributors. And I think mm -hmm. there absolutely is a lot of truth to the idea that focusing on our strengths as an individual contributor is, is really important. You know, I've done uh, a, a lot of career counseling, and one of the things that we look for is help people find things that they're good at because they're going to be passionate at it, they're going to be successful and enjoy mm -hmm. it. But when we move into a leadership role, there's a whole new range of responsibilities that come along with that, and, and that's where that strengths-based approach starts to fall apart. I think that's really helpful. And, and would you say, um, is it your feeling that, that to, to be effective in a leadership role, is, it, is, it, as, is the ability to have strengths in all of those areas as important at lower levels of leadership in the organization, um, as, or is it more important maybe really at upper levels, or is it all levels? Do you have a thought about that? Uh, you know, I would say the further that you're – you want your reach to be as a leader, as your impact, that you're going to have to do to some degree each of these different eight areas um, that we identify in the book. And so yeah. if, you're, if, if you're maybe at the, the lower end of the, the hierarchy, mm -hmm. you can still really have this idea that you want to have some reach and you want to have some impact. And, and you're not going to have that, that sort of um, impact until you start taking accountability and taking responsibility for each of these different eight areas. But certainly as you move up the ladder, I think it becomes more and more incumbent upon you can, you can get away less and less with not um, doing some of these different things. Yeah, that, that's kind of, kind of how I was seeing it too, so I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, Thank you. Um, I, I'd like to talk a little bit, and, and you've already used the language a little earlier. Um, I believe Jeff said it. He talked about the, the idea of default setting, and I just loved uh, the imagery of having a default setting, and I thought it was a really neat way to talk about, um, you know, kind of uh, where we live on the map. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this, and um, can or should we rely on this setting? I think we've been talking about this a little bit already, in a sense, when we talk about, um, you know, whether or not we um, can really just leverage our strengths. But um, do you have do you have a story, Mark, um, that illustrates uh, your default setting, and um, could you share it with us? Yeah, yeah, and and really just to, to you know talk 
big picture about this idea of can, uh, default setting is, is really, again, it's this idea of, of a, an approach to leadership that comes naturally to us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's the question of, you know, do we or should we approach on that? Well, we absolutely uh, do rely on it. That's almost the, the definition of the default setting. And we rely on those default settings because they reflect how we, how we see the world, what we prioritize. And so we may have one, you know, in the book we talk about eight different dimensions. And so this is a way for people to understand what their default setting is, how they naturally come in. And we all have it, and there's nothing wrong with having it. Um, and, in fact, to just rely on that default setting um, to a fault is, is human nature. And so what we're pushing people to do is to, to help them understand that they do need to, to put in that effort to move beyond it. Um, and so for some people, their, their default setting is about just pushing strongly for results and creating that sense of urgency. Some people, you know, as Jeff said, their leadership default setting, you talked about this woman who had literally been a cheerleader, but, um, you know, about energizing people, and they see that as the way to lead. Other people naturally see the way to lead as just being very methodical and very systematic and will get things done there. Uh, my, my particular uh, default setting is what we in the, in the book call inclusive. Um, and, you know, I actually, as you mentioned in the beginning, I initially went into doing psychotherapy. and I had been rewarded a lot for being a great listener and being attentive to other people's needs. And, um, and that's, how, that's how I see the world, you know. And, mm -hmm. and, and so when I come into a leadership perspective or leadership position, that's the perspective I bring to it. That's what I uh, tend to see as important. Um, what I, I you know, come to, to realize and, you know, having to learn this the hard way in different instances is that need to push people, that need to create that sense of urgency doesn't, not only does it not come naturally to me, but um, more important as a first step, it doesn't come naturally for me to even realize that that's important. So again, <laughs> that's a big part of the book is to help raise people's awareness first and then help them to make that movement. And so in the book, we, someone like me, helped me understand why it is so difficult for me to do that pushing and mm -hmm. to do that, um, you know, and part of it is a discomfort with, um, you know, upsetting other people. Part of it is a, a high need for harmony and stability on my part. Um, but those are part of my personal equations. That's part of my personality. And if I, I'm expecting to just check my personality at the door when I come in and those things aren't going to affect how I do my job, then I'm, I'm going to be oblivious and I'm, I'm not going to realize what's going on. Yeah, good. That's excellent. Well, well, these eight dimensions that we've been talking about so far uh, today uh, that the book, of course, is based on is are really coming from a model, and the model is called DISC. And I was wondering, Emma, if you could give us a little crash course um, on DISC uh, for those that um, will be listening that are not familiar with it and perhaps even tell us a little bit about its history and where it came from. I think it's helpful um, for listeners who aren't familiar with the model to first imagine a circle that's divided into four quadrants. And this is the DISC model. Um, there are two basic axes that make up its structure. And as I'm describing these axes, you may want to place yourself on them. The vertical axis runs from fast-paced and outspoken at the top of the circle to cautious and reflective at the bottom of the circle. 
On the other hand, the horizontal axis runs from questioning and skeptical on the left-hand side of the circle to warm and accepting on the right. So by thinking about where you fall in each of those two axes, you can sort of place yourself into one of the four quadrants, and these are labeled D, I, S, and C. That's where DIS comes from. And these initials stand for dominance, influence, steadiness, and conscientiousness. As you might imagine given its name, dominance, the dominance quadrant describes driven, direct, and forceful people. And those in the influence quadrant are more enthusiastic and high-spirited. Those in the steadiness quadrant are considerate people who prefer a stable, harmonious environment. That's what Mark just described. He falls mm -hmm. into that quadrant. And then people in the conscientiousness quadrant, which now we're on the lower left, are analytical, reserved, and more logic-focused. So these four primary disc styles are basically categories in which we can we can use these to help us quickly understand individual differences and how people work differently and have different motivations. Um, now that's the DISC model. So the DISC assessment, which this book relies on as well, is a tool that helps people quickly assess which of these styles describe them most accurately. And when readers of the book take our, our assessment, they learn which of the eight dimensions is their primary dimension or default setting. And, and this is based very closely on the DISC model. They line up perfectly. And I won't go into great length about the history of the model, but it is based on the work of a psychologist named Dr. William Moulton Marston, who first published a book called Emotions of Normal People in, back in 1928. And all of this work has stemmed from that. It, it is in a, in a different context than we use it. He didn't use it as a typology so much. But nonetheless, the, the four quadrants did stem from his work. And there's a lot more information in our appendix of our book about the research if people are interested in that. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. And um, I wanted to go a little further uh, in talking about this, um, uh, Jeff. Um, you've provided some really great options for folks to get a read on their DISC default settings um, in the book. Um, there's a couple of ways they could do that. Could you describe these options for us and tell us how you would envision someone actually using this book? Is this a book I'm going to sit down and um, do I need to read it from cover to cover or how would I use it? Our design of this book is actually, uh, we think, somewhat innovative uh, and, and purposeful. Um, we didn't expect people to read uh, this book cover to cover. We wanted to give them the experience of understanding where they fit in the leadership model, and then based on that understanding and, and some assessment of where they need to go, uh, read the most relevant chapters for them uh, at, at, at the time, uh, or in the present when they're, when they're reading the book. Um, and there, there are really uh, a couple of different methods to doing that. Emma described uh, a process, and we, we do in chapter two of our book sort of walk through a, uh, even a more detailed version of that, where you could sort of, by reading it, maybe place yourself you know, in, you'd be close to getting, you know, one of the right three mm -hmm. dimensions. You'd, you'd be in the ballpark. Um, but we've actually provided uh, a, a very uh, uh, precise um, uh, method for people to assess themselves. And it's via uh, an online assessment. 
um, that takes about 10 minutes to complete, um, that the access to that online assessment can either be from a, um, a, an, an authorized InScape distributor who has access to it and can provide free access to uh, a reader, um, or we have a, a public website if people don't have access to an InScape distributor um, at uh, www.8dimensions.com and that free assessment is, is there as well. Uh, but we, we recommend that people work with an InScape distributor to, uh, to be, because uh, we, we think that these, uh, these books create a lot of questions and a lot of opportunities for further development uh, beyond what we can provide in a book. So mm -hmm. the process that we expect is, is that you could go in and very quickly uh, self-assess where, you know, which of the uh, eight dimensions are most uh, aligned with your current default setting. Um, to go to the second section of the book and uh, sort of take a deep dive. Uh, we, we don't think of it, as, someone said it's more like an emotional cold shower. We don't want it to be that, but, <laughs> but uh, it is a deep dive into sort of the underlying drivers of, of, of your default setting and where those blind spots, uh, the sources of where those blind spots uh, likely come from. And after, after spending some time there, we, we point you to uh, one or two other chapters in section three of the book part three of the book, where uh, lessons from leaders in other parts of the circle that they've learned early in their career, we hope can benefit you by, by learning and studying them rather than having to experience them the hard way. Yeah. So that's the method that the book works at. And, and really, you know, uh, on average, people will read four or five chapters of the book. Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's great. It's really well done. Um, I, I'd like to uh, to get into a little bit about, um, you know, kind of where the book came from and, and some of the research that um, that led you to uh, writing this book. Um, and, uh, Mark, I understand that the book began with a question. Yeah, and, and the question, really simply put, is, you know, what, what's the relevance of, of personality in the leadership domain? Um, because we, when we look at the the training industry and we look at how leaders are developed, it tends to be very behavioral in nature. And that certainly makes sense. It's, you know, when things are behavioral, they're concrete, they're objective, there's, there's not, um, you know, the, the, the messiness associated with it. Uh, but we were really interested in how does personality relate to the, this area and more particularly the development of leaders. How can we use an understanding of personality to help people accelerate their development, and this is an area really that our, our organization's been working in for the like over over 35 years now, and we've been able to to gather a lot of data, and and we've certainly worked in the area of leadership um, uh, before. But uh, Jeff and I actually write a regular column in a, a magazine called Training Magazine, and and as part of that, we work to we gather data to understand learners' perspective on training and what they really see as important for their development. And one of the questions we've asked a number of different times, um, and in this most recent uh, uh, survey, it was about uh, over 3,000 people, and we were asking them, what would most improve um, your professional development? What, what could be provided um, that would most help you becoming better at your work? And, and the number one thing in a list of 20 different things, the number one thing far and away is always leadership development. And whether or not mm -hmm. we're talking to people in large companies or small companies, executives, managers, individual contributors, we're getting this message that help me become a better leader. This is an yeah. area where I could really use some guidance on. And so that's really where we began our research. And, uh, you know, three years ago in earnest, 
we started collecting data, talking to people over uh, over 26,000 people. Uh, we asked them questions like, you know, what's important to you uh, when you're as a leader, when you're a leader, what's important to you to get as a leader, well, you know, what are the, some of the leadership mistakes that you've made. And through that, we were really able to come up with these eight different clusters, uh, hmm. these eight different dimensions that you'll see in the book. And what's neat, um, from really from a, a, a nerdy uh, uh, statistician point of view, is <laughs> these, uh, these eight dimensions form a near-perfect circle. Um, mm. When we look at them mathematically, the relationship between them um, fits the, the, the conceptual model extremely well. And it, it really isn't an accident. I mean, we're really borrowing and, and using a model that scientists and people who study human nature rediscover again and again. It's a very fundamental uh, reflection of human nature. And so it, it gives us a lot of confidence that we are using something that's very robust to help people understand that. That's great. Yeah. And so, as Emma mentioned, if you, you know, there's more of the research that's included in the appendix of the book and try to give you some of the history of DISC and, um, and, and also some of the development we, we, the work we did on this. Yes, and, and I should mention that we're going to be posting a white paper um, uh, on some of the, the research um, on the bookends website on the resource blog as well. Um, right. I'd like to talk a little bit about part two of the book, um, which I think um, you've already mentioned, Jeff, um, and this is where uh, I think you used the word uh, an emotional cold shower. <laughs> the book examines the psychological drivers that can hold leaders back, um, but I liked your language better. Jeff, uh, could you share one of these attributes um, with us related to the pioneering leader, which of course is your default setting? And um, could you offer us a personal lesson uh, that you struggled with somewhere in your leadership experience? I know you've shared a little bit uh, about, you know, the one organization that you were with previous, but maybe sure. something, something else um, that uh, would help us to, you know, see one of these drivers in action. What I have to do is also kind of go take one step back because the guy that I described who is mapping processes Mm -hmm. um, and running an organization by process maps isn't typically associated with a pioneering leader. Mm. And in fact, that, that skill set, all that, that, that uh, uh, discipline, uh, I adopted to cope with you know, challenges I had more, more naturally as a, as a pioneering leader. Mm -hmm. um, early on in my career, even before that, uh, that assignment, uh, through uh, some development programs that uh, I, I participated with in the, in the Center for Creative Leadership, uh, uh, you know, it was early identified to, to, for me to be a better leader, uh, I had to be a little bit less uh, entrepreneurial and, uh, and a little bit more um, uh, sort of able to uh, turn an idea in, into action. Uh, and that was a, an earlier cold shower that I had had before this cold shower. So, <laughs> Uh, I'm one of these leaders that sort of ricocheted all over the map uh, as, as I tried to uh, come to understand what this was all about. Um, but the uh, one of my uh, the, the drivers that, that shaped me is, uh, and we write about it in the book as uh, under the heading confidence in your own vision. Uh, pioneering leaders who are at that sort of northern point of the of the leadership map tend to have remarkable confidence in their own vision. Uh, and, and people like that. Uh, followers love people who have sort of a, a, a clear sense of where they're going and why they're going. 
uh, whether it's carefully thought through, whether it's realizable or not, um, doesn't matter to the pioneering leader. And, and this was actually a pattern in my, in my whole life. Uh, I, I, I remember in the, in the sixth grade, I was, uh, I was working on a science fair project, and I had convinced myself that I could create a water wheel that pr would produce electricity in my parents' garage. <laughs> and, um, the only thing that saved me from total embarrassment was that uh, I was working on it, and my mother drove the station wagon over my, my work in progress. Oh. Oh no! Uh, but, but I, even as a as a young child, I, I had I, I could uh, see uh, something that I really wanted to do, and w was uh, remarkably I, I so trusted my instincts, and that I was right about this stuff that uh, it wasn't it was I, I, my my I didn't say this as a kid uh, or even as a young adult, but you know don't confuse me with the facts, yeah. um, and, and and that's very much. Uh, the uh, what the struggle the, the the pioneering leader has to realize uh, to sort of uh, check their ego at the door and to be able to begin to understand that um, really that 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 sort of uh, exhilaration that you get uh, sort of imagining a vision and sort of getting a group you know to jump out of an airplane without a parachute uh, mm -hmm. is not really good for the overall health of the organization and you have <laughs> to learn how to to moderate that. Oh, that's great. That's terrific. Uh, let's let's travel around the map a little uh, to the western side of the map. Uh, in fact, the most western western point on the map is the land of Resolute. And I understand, Emma, that this is where you live. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, one of the drivers for leaders that would have this approach and maybe share a personal anecdote with us um, from your experience? Um, one of the resolute drivers that really resonates with me is the one we call a drive toward personal mastery. Um, now, this driver causes leaders like me to have extremely high standards, and this applies both to myself and to the people that I work with or lead. Um, there are obvious benefits to this driver. Um, they, it does things like make me want to run marathons and write books and, <laughs> you know, conquer the world. But on the flip side... It also can cause people like me to have very little patience for others, especially if we see them as somehow incompetent. Mm. Um, and so it, it can also cause people like me to focus more on what, what goes wrong than on what is going well. And back in my first head coaching job after graduate school, I was the head men's and women's coach of a cross-country team. I ran into a lot of trouble because of this particular driver, and, and that's because this driver would often cause me to focus on what people should do. Should is kind of a, a key word for the resolute leader. <laughs> you know, I, I figured they should be able to keep all the balls in the air. They should be able to do well in academics and be on time for practice. They should be able to, you know, do the workouts I asked them to do. And, and I think that my focus on should is because I had always tried so hard to control myself in that way. I was very self-regulated. Um, I was really good at balancing academics and extracurriculars, almost to an extreme, I'd say. And so I just thought everybody was like that. And so when student athletes would come to my office, sometimes in tears, looking mm. for empathy from me because they couldn't keep all the balls in the air, it was very difficult for me to empathize with that because I would be thinking... <laughs> well, you should have thought about this last week or you should have, you know, gone to bed last night instead of watching whatever ridiculous show too late and hanging out with your friends. Um, so I really had to work at 
realizing that other people do not operate the same way that I do. They don't have that same drive toward personal mastery. Even if, you know, they may want the best for themselves and they may be trying to achieve things. They just go at it a different way. So Yeah, I'm I'm married to a resident leader and she tells <laughs> she tells an extremely similar story of, of her development and uh you know of of just learning about the other side of the um the circle and I mean our our real our goal is to help people learn that earlier and you know frankly when our conversation some people never learn that yeah, um, yeah. those goals and so to help people organize and put words around those things is oh. is really one of the values that that disc has always helped people do oh absolutely that's a, a great story emma and uh um I, i'm glad that that you have that as your strength and the role that you're you're in you know in, in terms of your default setting and, and the work that you do i think it's um it's wonderful to have that attention to um, quality and need to make things perfect. I, I appreciate it, so thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to be a more supportive person a lot. Uh, when we first thought about writing the book, uh, the three of us got together, and you know, me being the pioneering leader, I, I, I actually said, well, we're all good writers. We could knock this thing out in eight weeks. <laughs> eight Emma, weeks? Yeah. And I really thought that. And Emma was like looking at me like, you know what? What are weeks in your planet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, well, let's uh, let's move to um, the exact opposite side uh, from Re uh, Resolute all the way over to the eastern side of the of the map. Actually, the southeastern district um, we, is where we will find the inclusive leader. And of course, Mark, you've already mentioned that that is um, where you live on the map. Um, it's hard for me to imagine a downside to being an inclusive leader. I'm just, you know, listening I like you, to. Susan. <laughs> uh, can you can you tell us though what that might look like and um, share an experience that would illustrate this for us? You know, I think one of the um, one of the key, you know, as Jeff and, and Emma had both mentioned, one of the drivers that really influences how they lead and. Um, for me, one of the key influencers, drivers in terms of my personality in general and then how that trickles into my leadership is just this, this strong need for harmony around mm. me. And that's harmony both in terms of, uh, you know, I like to have things um, stable in terms of the tasks I'm doing, but I also like to have the relationships around me be very harmonious. And if I can achieve that, I'm in good, I'm in good shape. And, uh, and certainly, you know, having that as a, a leader, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. You know, people, people like people like that. You know, it feels it feels good. Um, but one of the things that it really is, is I, I could have, I wish I had learned earlier on, is that a leader's job really, a, a huge part of it is change, is to taking yeah. people into new territory. And if you're just helping people maintain where they're at and do that more in a more stable way, well, you're really just managing. Mm -hmm. Leading is. Um, is, is finding that new territory and encouraging people and finding those new opportunities. And so um, that's one area that um, has been really difficult for, for me, I think, to internalize without having the words around it. One of the things that's helped me um, is role models. Um, and I, I talk often about my current boss here uh, in my organization who is just brilliant at doing that, at brilliant at finding new opportunities, always pushing the boundaries. How can we do this better? Uh, you know, where else can we take this? Kind of that entrepreneurial spirit. And so, um, and, and as we talk to other people, 
we realize just how much role models and learning from other people. There's the trial and error way of learning, but I would prefer to learn from other people. And you get a sense of experiencing how they experience the world and seeing things from their perspective, and you can kind of internalize that. And so one of the things we tried to do in the book uh, is to really take those lessons, almost uh, create a catalog of some of those lessons, help you learn from a role model if you don't necessarily have one in front of you. But um, I think finding one in your organization that can help you do the things you're not particularly good at is, is a really great strategy and one that we, we encourage. That's great. And and really the lessons that you're you're mentioning, Mark, is really where I wanted to go next. So thank you. Um, really that's the the third segment of the book, which um we won't really have a lot of time to talk about today. But it, this section of the book is introduced with an assessment um that gives people a chance to take a look at what they might need to focus on. And I was wondering, Emma, if you could talk with us just a little bit about this third section of the book and and um you know how we can best learn leadership lessons from other parts of the circle, who who would you say would be the best person to teach someone a skill? And um, Mark just mentioned role models. You know, how would we go about finding someone to teach us a skill that's opposite of, you know, maybe our default setting, an area that we really want to further develop? Well, aside from the obvious of finding a, a real-world role model, we basically built part three of the book to serve that purpose for the reader. So through our research and talking to many, many, many leaders, um, both in qualitative interviews and quantitatively collecting data, um, we boiled down what each of the eight dimensions has to offer into three simple lessons. And each of those three lessons comes with three practical suggestions for how to start adopting more of the behavior of that particular dimension. But first, before you can kind of dive into that, you know, it would be a mistake to think you're going to learn all eight of the dimensions at once. That would be overwhelming. And, and what we don't want is to intimidate people or, 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 as we've said, make it seem like they need to become a superhero to be a better leader. Really, we want them to focus on just one or two things to start with, and that's where our leadership needs assessment came in. Um, it actually came from something kind of unexpected that we learned through our research. We figured that based on someone's default setting or their disc style, we could kind of predict what they most need to work on right now. But when we were interviewing leaders one-on-one, -on -one, we discovered that those lessons didn't always resonate with them as what was most important. Maybe they had already addressed them earlier in their career. Um, like Jeff said, he had already worked more on processes because he's naturally, you know, a DI leader or a pioneering leader. Um, so that may be not what he needs to focus on right now. So over and over again, we heard people say that what they need to work on right now had more to do with maybe the culture that they work in or, or personal goals that they have right now. So we developed this needs assessment, which readers can take in the book or as part of the the online assessment as well that basically tells them which two of the eight dimensions they should work on right now and then guides them to those specific two chapters where they'll, they'll learn these three lessons um, from that leader. And we kind of see those chapters as being written from the perspective of a coach who is 
say I need to learn to be more affirming, I'm, I'm learning from the wisdom of an affirming leader when I'm reading that chapter about becoming more affirming. So that's kind of how part three works. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a really, really rich tool or resource that, um, that you've provided in the book is this needs assessment that really helps to point you in the, in the right direction. And as you say, um, just shared, Emma, you know, that direction, um, because we change so rapidly and organizations change rapidly and external factors change rapidly, those needs are always in, in motion. So it's really great to have that in there um, that you can, you know, keep looking and adjusting um, as needs change. Um, uh, so it's it's time for us to to uh, to wrap up our time with you, and I, I'd kind of like to go back to uh, that very first leadership experience in each of your lives. And um, as we wrap up our time together, I'm wondering if you might be able to share with us the advice that you would have given to that younger. Uh, version of yourself, if you were able to kind of go back in time, knowing what you know about yourself today, and have a conversation with yourself years back, what would you say to yourself? And uh, Jeff, I was wondering if we could begin with you. What would be your advice to the younger Jeff? Uh, I think I would counsel a lot of patience, uh, that that people and organizations uh, don't move necessarily at the pace that I move at. Uh, I'm, I'm more of an outlier than the norm, and I had it backwards. I always thought if people were patient and thoughtful and, and, and uh, really trying to, to do a great job, uh, that, that somehow they were, they were moving too slow. Um, so I was easily uh, sort of cast about as a, a bulldozer or something, just sort of, you know, act, act you know, shoot first, uh, uh, think later. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I, I think that would be the at that very basic lesson that people's needs are not the same as mine, yeah. and that people's pace is not the same as mine, and that if I could sort of embrace that earlier and understand that those people want to win just as much as I do, it's just that their styles are different. Right. Uh, right. That that would be a good lesson back to that's, me. That's great. That's great. Uh, Mark, how about how about you? Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, there's probably there's there's probably many. I'd, I probably want to have a full day seminar with myself. <laughs> uh, you know, a large part of it would really be about, um, you know, as the leader, you really are. You really need to be the the driver. You need to be initiating. And if you're not pushing those things and really getting people excited about those things, then your group is not really going to reach their full full potential. And so I think. Even though that certainly sounds cliche and obvious, I think for people, particularly in my area of the, the DISC circle, uh, that's not an intuitive message. And, you know, really you need to get that message over and over and feel, you know, bounces off your head again and again and again. And I know it did with me. Um, and I would have liked to have just picked it up and internalized it a lot, a lot quicker. Yeah. I'm afraid I, 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 I'm like you. Uh, I probably need the two-by-four or the long, the long session. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Emma, how about, how about you? Uh, what would be your advice to your younger self? Well, like you said, there are many things that I wish I had known, but one that may be a little surprising since I'm a resolute leader is I would actually tell my younger self to dial up some of the commanding aspects a little bit more, specifically showing confidence. I was put in very real leadership positions very young being mm. a coach. 
and not being that much older than the college students I was leading and maybe also being a woman and coaching men, I really should have worked on showing more confidence early on because um, it goes a long way to whether people buy into what you're selling. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I really struggled to find my way and it's taken a long time to kind of work on that for me. Um, and I ran into some specific problems with that. So I think I would definitely encourage leaders who are early on in their careers, regardless of their style, to, you know, that there is something to that, that you do need to, to show confidence and, and believe that you, you have some abilities as a leader. So Great. I think, you know, just uh, kind of listening to all of our stories, it really does, for me, reinforce this message that, you know, this mantra that we have is that, you know, leadership is a full body experience. And again, checking our personalities at the door, well, that's simply not possible. We can pretend we're doing it. Mm -hmm. But each of the things that we're describing that would have made us better leaders are really core to who we are as people. And so in the the training industry or the development industry, if if we ignore those things, we think there's there's a lot of potential to improve the, the type of development we do with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good good reinforcement for the uh you know, the mantra of uh, focusing on only on your strengths. Um, you know, I think you've all highlighted things that really could have kick-started your careers and made you uh, far more effective than you were originally. And you, you got there, you, you know, learned the lessons as you went, but um, gosh, to have those advantages so much earlier, just think, you know, for each of us, how much further we'd be today. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank uh, you, Emma, Mark, and Jeff, uh, again, for visiting with us today and, and sharing this, this work. Uh, we really only scratched the surface. Uh, there's so much more uh, in this book, and I'm hoping that people will get a copy of it and, um, and read it themselves. Uh, so I want to remind uh, folks to get a copy of The Eight Dimensions of Leadership. Please visit www.bkconnection.com. And following our interview today, you're invited into this conversation on leadership by joining the group on LinkedIn called Bookends the Discussion. And you can pose questions and have discussions with your colleagues and peers and Bookends authors who are members of this group. All of our Bookends podcasts can be found on both iTunes and also at bookendsbookclub.net. Check out our resource blog for a free chapter of today's selection, the white paper that I mentioned earlier, and also you can get your own leadership profile that we've been talking about today uh, uh, through the resource blog that you can use with this book. Bookends has been brought to you by The Team Approach. Our producer is John David Bowman. I'm Susan Stamm, and I'd like to thank you for listening.